Open your Bibles to the book of John. It is good, good to be here. Uh, the last time we was here was in 2015. So forgive me if I don't remember your faces or names. And after the service, please stop by the display table so we can have a chat. And uh, you can learn more about our ministry. Take a prayer card. And that way you can have a visual aid in knowing how to pray for my family and I. Or if you see something pink, you know. My real name is Pink. That's my first name. And you can just say, Lord, help Pink and his family. If you don't want to take a prayer card or maybe there's not enough on the table. There was a group of scholarly men who gathered in England in the 17th century. In England. And they asked the question, what is mankind's purpose? Basically. Why are we here on earth? And they answered basically to this effect. That mankind's main purpose or only purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And there was a group of other things that they talked about, but that was kind of a central theme through their talks, was what is our purpose on earth? But in churches like this, churches like ours in New Zealand, we talk much about glorifying God, but I find that there are Christians who don't know what it means to glorify God. And we want to say our main purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And that's a great statement. That's good to put on your bulletin boards and and things of that nature. But what does it mean to glorify God? And I pray by the end of this sermon, you will have an idea, a taste of what it means biblically to glorify God, to worship God, to make much of Jesus Christ, for He is worthy to be worshipped. If I was to ask you, What is the greatest joy in your life? What is the greatest joy or greatest joys in your life? Maybe you'll start with your salvation. Maybe you'll talk about getting married. Maybe you'll talk about having the kids you have. But when they turn teenagers, you, you who knows? What are the greatest joys in your life? And for me as a missionary, as a church planning missionary, one of the things that I never get over, and I truly say never, I am not over-exaggerating when I say never. We sing about amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, would what? Die for me. Do you get over that? You shouldn't get over that. Every day, Charles Spurgeon said, we need to remind ourselves of the gospel. Every single day, we need to look in the mirror and say, Who am I that Christ Jesus would give His life for me? Every day. And the one thing I never get over, and I honestly can say never before you and before God, that God will use me to bring glory to His holy name. Some of you were in the Sunday school when I talked about my testimony. And I'll just give a... The 30 second snippet. That I, 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 I am still amazed that God would allow me to hear the truth of the gospel. Though I was a wretched sinner who went to a Christian camp to fight someone. You get that? I went to a Christian camp only to fight someone. I had no desire for Christ. No desire that I knew of to learn of Christ. God looked and overlooked, as it were, my sinfulness. 
He drew me to the Son. And by the middle of the week, I said, Lord Jesus, save me from my sin. I was led through the Word of God and how to be made right with God. And from that moment on, I have sought as opportunity arose to bring glory to His holy name because my life is His and He is mine. As the hymn writer said, Jesus paid it all. What? All to Him I owe. All to Him I owe. That my life is in His sovereign hands. So the greatest joy for me is working with God and seeing lives transformed. The greatest joy for me is working with God and seeing lives transformed. Let's be upstanding just to read the text of Scripture that was already read to us. But let's, I want to highlight a few things. So, uh, uh, um, Would you stand with me? <laughs> Pastor Carl did it again. Would you stand with me as we read just John, John chapter 4? Do you not say, the Lord said in verse 35, that there are yet four months? And then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white for harvest. Now some, some commentators say that basically there was a group of people coming to Jesus with white on and therefore it was, quote, white for harvest. I don't believe that's true. I believe what he's saying is there is a group of people that's being drawn to him, to faith in him. And that's what he's talking about because the context declares that to us. In verse 34, Jesus said to them, oh, we'll skip, um, verse 36 says, Already he who reaps, that's God the Father, is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows, that's us, and he who reaps may what? Did you get that? That he who sows, that's us. And he who reaps, that's God. Can what? Rejoice together. What can we rejoice in? In Jesus and the saving of souls. You, you may be seated. So God the Father desires to use you and me who have come to faith in Christ. We have been saved from the penalty of sin, which is eternal separation from God. And He wants to work with us in seeing people, other people saved. And I know many of you have heard this. But let me ask you this. How many of you are out seeking to make disciples of those who do not know Christ as Savior? My wife and I make a habit of going to places where we know people are not saved. So, for example, uh, we have people in our church who can do work on our vehicle. And they say, Pastor, bring your vehicle over and we'll, 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 we'll work and we'll get this done. You know what we say? Thank you, but no thank you. I, I would rather spend the money for our vehicle to be fixed by those who don't know Christ than to save money and, and, and have people who are other Christians and, and, you know, and help us in this area. And what do I mean? I want to be used of God and go to places where they don't know Christ as Savior and I could be a light in that darkness, even if it may cost me $20 or $50 or $500. I don't care because there's no amount of money that's more than somebody's soul. Whatever it will cost me, I am willing to do. So that that person may hear the truth of the gospel. And I can only pray after the seed of, God, of the gospel is sown that their spiritual eyes are opened by God. 
God has done that through my wife and I. God has done that through you. I see a lot of new faces here. I see a lot of new faces. I'm sorry, this is getting a distraction. I see a lot of new faces, and I am thrilled to to, uh, see that. So God is doing a work here. But guess what? He's not done. He's not done. Don't ever think, oh, this is good. Oh, this is, Pastor Carl, this is a good number. No, you should want more. More people hearing the truth of the gospel. More people being impacted by the Lord Jesus Christ and the, his message. It's not about numbers per se. So your church looks good to others. It's about how many people are worshiping God. So we've been talking about how do we glorify God? The sermon title is this, accomplishing the Father's work. You saw that right from the text. That's why the Lord Jesus was sent to accomplish the Father's work. But let me give you my, my sermon in a sentence for those who are taking physical notes. I encourage all believers to take physical notes and, of course, mental notes. Physical notes, you can go back to your homes and see if I was telling the truth by taking your notes, comparing it with Scripture. And you would say, yes, he did. But you need to take mental notes because tomorrow you may go to work or you may go to wherever you go. And they'll say, hey, how was church yesterday? You're not going to have your physical notes with you. So your mental notes need to be always going. So you can say, I don't remember everything he said. The guest speaker that we had, whose name was Pink, and you could talk about that with them. But you can say, but he told us of Jesus and how Jesus wants to use us. But then you tell them of Jesus. You tell them who he is. You tell them what he's done and how they can be made right with him for all eternity. Is that not a joy? And we get to work with God the Father in doing that. A person that I am amazed at is the Samaritan woman. Please, in your own time, read the first 42 verses in your own time, maybe in your devotions tonight before bed or tomorrow morning when you wake up. Whenever you have your devotions, please, I encourage you sometime this week, if Pastor Carl says that's okay, uh, spend time reading the first 42 verses and really examine the Lord Jesus' conversation with her. There are several things that come out that sticks out to you right away. We saw the disciples came back from Samaria and, and, and they, asked, they asked the question, uh, why was he speaking to a woman? And in our modern culture, we don't see anything weird. You should find that that's weird they're asking that. Because Jesus is publicly, openly speaking to someone he shouldn't be speaking to. As a rabbi, he was not culturally allowed to be speaking to a woman in public. So the, so the disciples were amazed that Jesus was being counterculture. They didn't know about her as much as Jesus had learned. But they were just amazed that their rabbi, their savior, the one that they believed was the Messiah, was ministering so publicly to a woman. They were amazed by that. But if you look at the narrative, you would understand that this was a woman that was broken, that was lonely, that needed uh, Jesus. 
And I find very interestingly, at the beginning part of John chapter 4, the text tells us, I believe in verse 4, that Jesus must go through Samaria. The Word of God says He must go through. Again, if you just read that, there's no understanding of what that means. But you have to understand, culturally speaking, the Jews would avoid Samaria because they hated the Samaritans. Because the Samaritans were half-breeds, half-Jewish, half-Gentiles. And as a result, the Jews hated them. They despised them so much. They were willing to go on the Mediterranean seaside or over on the Jordan Riverside just to avoid the country altogether. And yet the text of Scripture says to us, Jesus what? Must go where? Through Samaria. You know what he says? Somebody needs me and I'm going to go to to a place where they are. You know somebody who needs Jesus. Put up your hands if you know somebody who needs Jesus. Put up two hands if you know somebody who needs Jesus. Now start doing like this. <laughs> okay, you know somebody who needs Jesus. You just signified it by raising the roof. Now my, my question is for you is this, and maybe you could do this going forward. Are you praying for them? And then are you going to them? Or are you expecting them to come to you? If we're going to follow the example of Jesus, we must go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. You got to use wisdom in this. You got to use discernment. Charles Spurgeon says discernment is not always right from wrong. It's knowing best from good. And you have to ask yourself, what I'm involved in myself in, is it best for the glory of Christ? And so Jesus spends time and dialogues with the Samaritan woman. And she was so amazed by him towards the end of their dialogue that as Pastor Carl read, she left her water pot. The main purpose why she came and she, she left her home and went to work as it were that day. And she went there to draw water and she came and drew water for Jesus, I believe, and, and for herself. All of a sudden she left it. You know what that tells me? That when you follow Christ, there may be some things you have to leave behind. And you do know what that is for you. And I know what that is for me. But when you follow Christ, are you willing to forsake all? To follow him. For him to be your savior. Your teacher. Your Messiah. The son of God. Consider this. Not only did Jesus spend time with a Samaritan woman, he spent time with a woman caught in adultery. Not only did he spend time with a Samaritan woman, and not only did he talk to the woman who's caught in adultery, he also spent time with a tax collector named Zacchaeus. Anybody know Zacchaeus? The kids probably heard the song Zacchaeus was a little man, whatever. A little man was he. He climbed up the sycamore tree. Couldn't see Jesus, right? And the people hated Zacchaeus because he was a tax collector. One of Jesus' disciples was a tax collector. His name was Matthew. And I never, I think about the disciples and I always draw, there's Matthew, the tax collector, who worked for Rome. But yet there was Simon the Zealot, another disciple of Jesus, who hated Rome and wanted Rome to be overthrown. And yet Jesus said to them in John chapter 13, love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus spent time with sinners. Jesus saved you and I. 
despite where you have come from. And God desires for us to be used by him to accomplish his work of seeing souls saved. My sermon, in a sense, is this. We accomplish the Father's work by being obedient to his will in making much of Christ Jesus with our lives. We accomplish the Father's work by being obedient to his will in making much of Christ Jesus with our lives, and thus we glorify him. If we're going to accomplish the Father's work, we need to start being obedient to His will. What is His will? His will is that we know Christ and we make Him known. His will is that we enjoy Him. That is the Father. The will, His will is that we yield ourselves to Him so that He can continue to work in us to make us more like Christ. His will is that you would give thanks in all circumstances, no matter how bad they are. I told another church that a circumstances that I, I wish would never have happened to my wife and I is that our son was born with a kidney issue from while he was in the womb. And we've had to see doctors over and over and over, especially my wife and the Lord has strengthened her to go see all these doctor's appointments. It's not something I wish would have happened, but God has allowed it to happen. Why? So that we can glorify him. Do you realize how many doctors we've been able to spend time with and tell them of Jesus that we wouldn't have spent otherwise? And I remember sitting next to this elderly lady who was there at the hospital for some reason. And then all of a sudden we got to talking. And guess what? Right away, I'm like, God, give me an opportunity to talk about Jesus. And guess what? God opened the door and I'm telling her of the love of Jesus. And she said, young man, you are so good. I said, no, he is. He is. And we got to talking about why we were there in the hospital. We were able to bond over the suffering that was with her and, and, and with my son. And by the time that she left, you know, there was consideration going on in her mind. And she stood up and I helped her to stand up and take her to the doctors. And she was publicly thanking me before all the people who heard everything we said. We wouldn't have had that conversation if my, my son didn't have his kidney issues. You see, you can look at your circumstances and you can get mad at God. Or you can look at your circumstances and not like them and say, God, I want to use this for your namesake. I sent out an update this week. I sent out an update this week, just actually a few days ago, of our ministry and what have you. And I made it public to our gospel partners, you being one of them. Something that we kept private for so long. Because when people see our son, we don't want them to treat him any different than they would have treated him before. But our son was born with trisomy 21, better known as Down syndrome. And we know that's going to have a lot of challenges for us. But yet, my wife and I, when we found out, our minds were instantly drawn to the the, the question the disciples asked the Lord Jesus... Why was this man born blind? Whose sin is it? Was it his sin or his parents? And Jesus said, neither his parents nor he is at fault. It is for the glory of God alone that he was born blind. You see, this woman who had come to the well in Samaria, and she came, I believe, because she was an outcast, so she came alone. And she came to draw water, and the Lord Jesus met her right where she was. Why? To accomplish the Father's work in redeeming people. 
And he said, give me water to drink. And that amazed her so much, they entered this fascinating dialogue of which we do not know how long it took. All we know is by the end of it, her eyes were under, of understanding were opened of who Jesus was. And she left and told the men of the city, get this, come meet a man who told me all I ever did. Is not this the Messiah? You see, the first thing that we're going to need to, to basically to focus on if we're going to accomplish the Father's work is this. We need to live holy lives. We need to live holy lives. You cannot say you love Jesus and hate someone. Did you hear me? You cannot say you, you cannot tell me you love Jesus and you look at my skin color. I look different from you and then you have a racist word or acts towards me. I have dealt with that from a lot of people, but it's a shame to God when God's people treat me that way. I've dealt with that even from a pastor. Who looked at me and said, my people don't like your people. That was a pastor who said that. And yet you asked him, do you love Jesus? He would have said, yes, I love Jesus. But then the scripture says in 1 John chapter 4, how can you say you love God but hate your fellow believer? So if we're going to accomplish the Father's work, it has to start with we must live holy lives. Not perfect lives, holy lives. Set apart from sin unto God. Or I should say, set apart unto God from sin. And folks, let me tell you what I tell our church in New Zealand. Christ is above culture. Christ is above our human culture. Christ is is above our human ethnicity. Christ is above our human traditions. That Christ should mean more to us than anything and anyone in this world. Why do I say that? Because the people that we minister to historically have a problem with Japanese people. I remember when I lived in South Oakland. South Oakland is full of islanders. And I was talking to two men who were b- believers. And no, one was a believer in Christ. Another one just kind of come to faith in Christ. Well, he's also a believer in Christ, I should say. <laughs> but this one was a, he had just come to faith in Christ. And so it was unknown to this man. And so this one I was talking to is Samoan. And Samoan historically have a problem with the Tongans. And this guy who came to faith in Christ was a Tongan. And here's me. I'm kind of the in-between guy. I know both of them, and I'm friends with both. And I'm talking to this Samoan fella, and me and him, and I, I've learned a good bit of Samoan because I look Samoan. I thought I might as well learn the language. Because <laughs> then when I'm in New Zealand, I wear like I wear Samoan. It looks like a skirt. It looks like, you, 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 why is he wearing a skirt? No, it's a Samoan apparel, and uh, it's appropriate. If I'm in New Zealand, they, they, they don't look at me weird. It's just like I'm just one of the brothers. If here, you would look at me like I'm, something's wrong with me. Talking to the Samoan fella, we're talking a little bit in Samoan, and here comes this Tongan guy, and I say, doko. That means in Tongan, it means hum, 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 hello, brother. And this Tongan, this Samoan guy said, why do you talk to the Tongan guy? I said, because, hey, guess what? Praise be to Jesus. This Tongan guy, and I said his name. I said, he has come to faith in Christ. It makes you uh, Usos. It makes you the Dokos. Uh, Samoan Usos, the Dokos for in Tongan. And the Samoan said, no. No, and this is a believer. He says, no. He can't be a Uso. I said, Uso. Us. Stole. He is a Uso. He's a Uso in Christ now. 
I said, you know how much I've told you about Christ and, and you have grown in Christ and, and how much you ought to love people. Guess what? He is now a fellow believer with you. And he's standing there. And then the Tongan fellow said, Uso, I love uh, Jesus. And I won't tell you the whole conversation. But then these two embraced. And I got to behold that. I got to behold that. And for you, it may, maybe that means nothing. But when two enemies become friends because they have Christ, it should mean the world to us. My family heritage, a part of my family heritage, were killed by Adolf Hitler. And my mother, before she died, she told me, I would never forgive Hitler. I said, Mom, we're supposed to love our enemies. Isn't that not the word of our Savior? She said, yes, but I'm going to have to disobey the Lord here. <laughs> I said, Mom, Hitler, he needed Jesus. She said, no, Hitler deserves to rot in hell. And I said, Mom, so do you and I. But, praise to God, Jesus took God's wrath. And so we don't have to. She said, Junebug, you're teaching me now. I said, Mom, I'm just trying to encourage you with what the Lord said. You see, folks, if we're going to accomplish the Father's work, we have to overlook so many things. And we start by living holy lives. But secondly, you can see from the text, I'm going to read further from what Pastor Carl did. I'm going to end, I'm going to end here. Pastor Carl, end with verse 38. So we're going to pick up with verse 39 through 42, please. Verse 39 says, From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the, the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. Notice the woman, she goes back to where she's from and she speaks to the men and they believe her word. They wouldn't have believed her prior to this more than likely because again, she was an outcast. But now there's something about her that's been changed. The holy living, even in this, this minute of a time, there was something changed in her. The boldness for Christ to come see the men of the city and say, come meet a man who told me all I ever did. And so the men believed her word. So in verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what? His words. A commentator said this, for Jesus to lodge there. He stayed there for how many days? Two days. For Jesus to stay there, East Samaritan food and teach Samaritans would be roughly equivalent to, devi- to define segregation in the United States during the 1950s or uh, the apartheid in South Africa in the, in the 1980s. For Jesus to stay with the Samaritans would be to defy the segregation. The segregation says, no blacks and whites together. And you say, uh-uh, I'm not going to be a part of that. I want blacks and whites to come together and to love Jesus and hear his word. And I'm going to love them just as much as I love the same people that I belong to. Or the South Africans and the, and, and the apartheid. Listen to this. Shocking, extremely difficult, and somewhat dangerous to be a part of those things. To defy segregation. And to defy the apartheid. The commentator says this. The Jesus of the Gospels, get this, is more concerned with people rather than custom. I'll say that again. Jesus is more concerned with people 
rather than custom. So the disciples are now being made in Samaria. In verse 41, many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman in verse 42 in John chapter 4, it is no longer because of what you said that we, be- that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this one Jesus is indeed what? The Savior of the world. Folks, if you're going to accomplish the Father's will, you start by living holy lives unto God. Separated yourself from sin, not perfectly, but live unto Jesus, die to self. Secondly, just lead people to Christ. Don't lead them to your human traditions per se. We're coming upon Thanksgiving and everybody has traditions. And maybe you're tempted to teach people your traditions and that may be fine. But those traditions are just man-made. We want to lead to people to what's eternal. More importantly, who is eternal? Who should mean more to them and to you and I than anyone or anything in this world? If we're we're going to accomplish the Father's work in seeing people redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we need to live holy lives and we need to lead people to Christ. Again, I say to you, we accomplish the Father's work by being obedient to His will. That's God's will, God the Father's will. In making much of Christ Jesus, you know God the Father makes much of Christ. We could do the same. And we make much of Christ with our lives and thus we bring glory to him. What does it mean to glorify God? Ultimately, make much of uh, Jesus Christ. And you will bring glory to his holy name. Finally, listen to these words from Charles Spurgeon. We are not responsible to God for the souls that are saved. We are not responsible to God for the souls that are saved, but we are responsible for the gospel that is preached and for for the way in which we preach it. Folks, are you accomplishing the Father's work through the proclamation of God's word to anyone and everyone that you have opportunity with? With every head bowed, I want to give you a time, just a pause, a pause to meditate on God's word. And just let the thought of Jesus and his gospel transform your mind. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we thank you for your your everlasting word. This document that we hold from you so that we may know you. And Christ Jesus whom you sent. And we thank you for the good news. That he took our place upon the cross. He bore your wrath for our sin. And we thank you that after he was in the grave for three days and three nights. On that third day he arose from the grave. Thus conquering death and sin. And so we have assurance that when we die we can go straight into your eternal presence. And spend eternity with you, God. But Lord, there are people who surround us who do not know Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I pray, Lord, that we will set our minds on things above and seek to live holy lives, leading people to Christ. To the glory of you, God the Father, under the influence and direction of the Holy Spirit. That those who do not know Christ Jesus will see a light in us that's from Jesus.
will hear the message in us that's of a Jesus. And they will see in us Jesus who abides in us. Help us, O oh Lord, to overcome our, our fears and, and whatever is holding us back from being the lights you would have us to be. For you are worthy of our worship and praise. Help us, O oh Lord, to be to the praise of your glory, both now and forever. Um, amen.